Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? It's a great day to be alive and be with you. I don't know how this works, so I'm going to quit messing with it. A lot of announcements today. A lot of announcements. Maybe some friendly ribbing. We'll get to it all today. Uh, I'm going to hit the announcements right off the jump, so I'm faithful with my time up here. We got a couple uh, really good things. My name's Chris, by the way. I've been here a while. Sit at this table up here with these fine gentlemen. Um, So um, we have a couple things I want to get to. Generosity Challenge. You guys might remember this from years past. They're going to give us 100 bucks as seed money. Each table, we got to sign up for it. Andy, where are we signing up for it? Right here, back, uh, right as soon as you walk in. You got to sign out for your 100 bucks. The, the thought is we're going to at least match it per table. So we're going to give you 100. Every table is going to at least raise 100. I think there should be some tables that uh, do significantly more than that. But the hope would be to love on some single moms and um, show them what a Christian godly man, uh, how they treat women. So Ronnie's giving us some tips here. Um, to make sure that everything's above reproach, everything's above, above board. But at the end of the day, uh, holiday season is a great time for generosity. Um, you know, biblically, we're called to take care of widows and orphans. And um, single moms is a great way to be uh, obedient to that calling and um, really shine our light, show some love to some people, some, some, some mothers and some kids that need our help. So uh, all the info is right there. And we're getting our money from Andy in the back. Everybody cool with that? Everybody got that? So let's make sure we, we kill that. <clears throat> we also have a men's conference coming up Saturday, December 12th, 8 to 1130, right here. Right, Sam? Right here. It's going to be right here. Men's conference right here. Uh, it's going to be kind of a getting equipped conference, right? We're going we're gonna to have breakout sessions on reading our Bible, sharing our faith, using sports as an avenue to share Jesus, many other topics, but the hope would be that we get a, a bunch of dudes in this place uh, to grow closer to each other, grow closer to Christ, uh, hopefully teach us how to you know, feed ourselves, to live out our faith more practically, all that and more. Uh, QR code, you know the drill, um, the whole 733-733. As Ronnie says, if you, if you text chicken wings to that, you'll actually get uh, food delivered to your house. Nothing 733-733 can't do. Uh, but if you want to sign up, uh, the number's right there on the board. Last announcement. Where's Frankie's table? Frankie, where you at? <clears throat> Eric, Whit- Eric here? Eric Whitlatch, is that right? Whitlatch. Whitlatch. Eric Whitlatch getting inducted into the Louisville Sports Hall of Fame. Give it up for Eric. Swimming and diving, swim. You were a swimmer. What was your event? Good for you, man. Two things I got no chance to do. So, uh, way to go! Congratulations. <clears throat> okay, so as as some of you guys may know, there was a football game played last weekend, and and 
What I'm not going to do, I just, I'm not going to talk about the game. I mean, the game, there's just not a whole lot to talk about with the game. So I'm just not going to talk about the game, okay? But one of our values here at Man Challenge is you got to be able to take a joke. It's like next step of faith, uh, intimate male relationships, you got to take a joke. So <clears throat> with that in mind, uh, I thought there were some good jokes that came out of the game week last week. And uh, this was the first one. I thought that was pretty funny. I don't know about you guys. See, I can take a joke. I know that Rocky Top's mildly annoying for those of you who don't wear orange. So, you know, I get it. He knocked the kid out for singing Rocky Top. I also thought you guys, I don't know if you guys watched the game. It was a pretty cool scene. This was Kentucky running out of the tunnel. They ran the wrong way. Uh, yeah, so now, honestly, I don't know how you guys are with your friends. You hear like a cool country song on the radio or maybe a podcast that you've never heard before or, you know, maybe a, a Bible verse comes along your way that just rocks your world. And when you get something new, something fresh, something you've never been a part of before, no, something you've never seen, something that hits you in a brand new way, you like to share it with your friends. So, you know, you guys know Jay's a good buddy of mine, played football in Kentucky. And I, I don't know anything about this, but when it came across, you know, my plate this week, I wanted to share it with you guys. This is called the college football playoff. Do you guys know anything about that? Kentucky fans? I, I don't think you would. So let me explain this to you. So what happens is starting in November, they start ranking the teams <clears throat> and the, the best team gets ranked first. That's kind of the way it goes. So uh, wait, that's not part of the slideshow, Andy. Go back to what we were talking about. Anyway, for those of you guys who've never been a part of the playoff, um, every week you can follow it, Tuesday night, 7.30 on ESPN, <clears throat> company plug, uh, dial in, tune in, and they'll keep ranking the team. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be part of it, and you guys can, you know, jump on board with us, and we can all do this together. First time for Tennessee fans, Kentucky fans, you guys are welcome to join in. Louisville fans, I got to give it up for the Cards, they are playing way better, give it up for the Cards. Cards are playing way better. Excited for them. And uh, a lot of, what's that? Oh, Ohio State, yeah, they're kind of, that's kind of tired. Ohio State, uh, the big two, the big two conference, uh, they'll play their one game. When is that? Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll play the Bulldogs. We'll play number three. It'll be one verse three. That, that one next to our name, Jay, that means, that means we're first. Okay, uh, Chris Morgan, come on out, brother. How am I doing on my time? 6.07, I am killing it on my time. Give it up for Chris Morgan. He's going to be a speaker today. Real quick, real quick. Chris is, em oh, how'd you do, how'd you do Chris is employed by the church. Okay, now some of you guys think that I asked to be the MC this week. That's what some of you guys are thinking. You're thinking Tennessee played Kentucky. It was 44-6, which I'm not supposed to talk about the game. Uh, that I asked to be the MC. Chris, on, no, on no. A, under oath. I can't tell you how many people have asked me the question, Chris Burke's not emceeing <laughs> this week, is he? Man, that was, that was set months ago, honestly. So now, that, that now, was not, just that a was not quick scheduled in the room. just happened to be. Quick poll in the room. How many believe that this happened months ago? Hawk, right? do you believe that or don't believe that? Do you believe that? You guys believe that? Semi, we got some semi. Chris, one last time. When did, when did you tell me I'd be emceeing this week? Months ago. Was, months? Yeah. August. August. Okay. End of August. Just make sure that. Yeah. 
True story, Jay. <laughs> Basketball's coming, though, right, brother? It's coming. All right, we'll get you up here, hopefully. Uh, basketball season's coming. Ten us Tennessee fans are looking forward to it. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, you're good. Thank you for the gift of being able to laugh, um, uh, to, be in a, to be in a room where we, we know each other enough, love each other enough just to have some fun. Lord, thankful for that. Lord, thankful for the community we have here. We don't take it for granted what a blessing it is to be able to come here this morning. And hear your word, to, to live in a country where we can freely do that. So we just praise you for that, Lord. We praise you for Chris and how he leads so well, Lord. I pray you speak through him. Challenge us through him today, Lord. And we just pray blessings over him, his message, Lord. We pray we leave here looking a little more like you. We pray all that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bert. Appreciate it. Les Brown was born in a, an abandoned project building in the Liberty section of Miami. Abandoned. At the age of six, uh, a single mother found, picked him up, loved, adopted him, nurtured him, cared for him. Les Brown um, went on to be a uh, motivational speaker, travels throughout the country. One of the phrases that he lives by is, we are to live full and die empty. To live full and die empty. Now this is a guy that probably could have called or threw any victim card that he wanted, but he didn't. He wanted to live life full and die empty. And if there's ever a, a person other than, than Christ that lived full and died empty, it's the guy that we've been talking about for the past couple months, the Apostle Paul. He personified this. He lived this out, that he lived full. And as we soon are going to see, he's going to die empty. We've been walking through this verse by verse, kind of just unpacking what the Bible says about um, the life of Paul, about discipleship. His love for Christ, his love for Timothy, and his courage to live out a life worth following. In this text today, as we're going to look through it, we're going to go verse by verse. Um, we're going to let the text preach itself. Uh, we're, we're going to see what it's like to live a full life and to die a good death. Let's jump into the word. First Timothy chapter four, starting in verse one. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Paul is going to specifically say to Timothy, I charge, another word for charge would be to, um, to urge, I command you, not privately, but publicly, knowing that you are publicly going to be judged from this, not so much by people, but by God. That every word that comes out of your mouth, it's going to be judged by God. So what he's doing is he's setting this precedence for, for Timothy. You make sure that the words that come out of your mouth are not going to be things that you want. Or that other people are going to want you to say, no, no, I'm, I'm going to judge you. In James 3, it says not all of us should presume to be teachers, knowing that we're going to be held to a standard. So he's saying, Timothy, 
God is going to judge. He's judging the living and the dead. So publicly, I want to tell you to do something. And here's what I want you to do, Timothy. You're going to be held accountable for this. Watch what you say. Here's what I want you to do, Timothy. Look at verse 2. Preach the word. That first word, preach. He says, preach it, my son. Don't you variate from this. The word preach is defined as to publicly proclaim or teach, to earnestly advocate a message, to herald or to say something. He says, Timothy, you preach. Use your words. There's a, there's a quote and a saying that preach the gospel. And when all else fails, then use words. No, we must talk. And when we talk, it cannot be our opinions. It must be what the word of God says. So he said, Timothy, you're going to be judged. You're going to be held to a standard now. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. You preach the word. There's something about the word. Joe talked last week about 2 Timothy um, 3, 16 and 17. Said it's in the top 10 of the most um, Googled verses history. That's what, that's what people do. They want to see those top 10 verses. This is, that's one of them. All scripture is breathed out by God. That this, this is actually not someone's opinions. This is what God has for us. So he says, Timothy, I want you not to preach opinions. I want you not, not to preach things that's going to get likes or retweets or that someone's going to comment. No, you preach the word. This is not just a book a book review. This is not a commentary. That every word, every single word, whether it be a noun, whether it be a verb, whether it be a conjunction, it means something because God breathed it out. All the words mean something. I've said this before. I remember my grandpa telling us that that Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic information before leaving earth. That this is our playbook. An athlete will not get in the game. I don't care how athletic they are and they don't know the playbook. We will be lost without this. There's something about the word of God that it doesn't go outdated. That it speaks to every issue that we deal with today. That we do not have to go to Google and see what it says. That we actually have a book written by the creator that tells us exactly when we're going through an issue, where we can go to find it. This, this word of God speaks on marriage. Speaks on it, that we don't have to go to the world to, to, to define what marriage is. The Bible says that. That marriage is between a husband and a wife. It says that. It talks to us about parenting. That when we parent our kids, that, that our kids are born sinners just like me and just like you. And so as we parent them and as we shepherd their hearts, the Bible speaks about that. When it talks about money, the Bible speaks about that. When it talks about who you are and your identity, it talks about this. So he is saying, Timothy, you're going to be held accountable for the things that you say. Know that. Preach the word. There's something about the word. And then he's going to say this. 
You preach the word and be ready. Be ready. That's why we're having a men's conference. That's why we are having those topics that Burke talked about, about um, how to read your Bible. That's a great question. How do I do that? If you are a new believer or an old believer, whatever it may be, you're like, hey, I got to be honest, I don't even know how to read my Bible. That's a great question. You know, the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus teaches to pray. We don't even know how to pray. It's a great question. And the teacher taught them. So what our hopes is, is that we have a conference. We all, man, we flood this place. You get everybody you possibly can come to hear and get into breakout groups and realize, hey, there's other guys that are dealing with this. And we can sit down and we can break it down on how we can have a quiet time, how we can share our faith at our work and not be weird. How, how we can, can share our faith, how, how we can engage with the culture. Those are things that we're going to talk about. And he says, you be ready in season or out of season. He says, Timothy, you stick to this. Whether it is in season or whether it is out of season. Whether you are, whether it's popular or whether it's not. Whether you're seeing results or you're not. Whether you're a mega church or whether you're a small group. You stick to this. You leave the results and you leave everything else to me. You never variate from this. Um, working with athletes, you understand, especially collegiate athletes, you understand really, really quickly that there is no off-season. There's no off-season. I mean, whether you work in support staff, whether you're a coach, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a trainer, you work year-round. And some strength coaches will tell you that the hardest season is the off-season, supposedly. Because that is where they are going to condition your body. They're going to condition your mind for what's ahead. Paul is saying, you be ready. It also gives us a, a term, a military term, that a soldier would be standing at attention, waiting for the command of the officer, of the superior. He is waiting. It also gives us that, that picture of a soldier with his gun out, with his finger on the trigger, waiting at any point when the commanding officer says, fire. You be ready, Timothy. Be ready in season or in out. Now, I think the thing that we have to deal with probably the most right now with that anyway is whether it's popular or whether it's not. We looked a couple, maybe a month ago at this point, that we are trying to please the commanding officer. No one gets involved in civilian affairs because they want to please the commanding officer. We're not here to please the world. If you haven't understood by now, this is not our world. We are citizens in heaven, Paul says, that if you're living this world to please you, you will be highly disappointed. Whether it's popular or whether it's not. I remember being discipled and he says, the guy that discipled me looked at me and he said, I just want you all to know that if you preach this word the way it's supposed to be, you're going to lose some friends. As time goes on, you may, and you don't have to be one of those guys. I'm not talking about being a guy that stands on a box and pointing people and telling them they're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying as, you, as we live our life, sometimes people won't want to be around that. And that's, oh, 
Okay. He says, Timothy, you be ready in season or out. Preaching this sometimes may get you fired. Even at a church. I'm not even talking about a secular job. I'm talking about a church. You stand on the word. You preach what the word says. He says, don't you be a coward. Don't you timid away. Don't you walk like a, don't you come across the middle like a receiver that knows he's about to be hit and you have what's called happy feet where you know you're about to be hit. No, you, you go across the middle, you extend yourself out, you catch the ball because it's a play that has been given. Timothy, you preach the word. You preach the word in season and in out. This, this word, the mere thought that this word needs my help at all is absurd. I mean, I graduated Campbellsville with about a 2.5. True story. Okay. I took that ACT about six times. How's a dummy like me going to be able to stand in front of anyone? There's something powerful about the word of God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it like this. He says, you don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let it loose and it'll defend itself. You just let this thing eat. You know, sometimes I get out there and I play golf with somebody, especially if it's somebody that's really, really, really good. And they're like, hey, let the big dog eat right now. And they'll get that driver out and they'll tow that, that, that ball and they'll swing that club and that ball will go incredible far distance. You just let this thing do what this thing can do. If we are willing to stand behind it, And let it do what only it can do. Speak where it speaks. Be quiet where it's quiet. Timothy, you preach the word. You be ready in season and out of season. The next thing he says is you reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. Patience. You be completely patient. There's going to be times where as as a believer in Christ, as a table leader, maybe you pull somebody over and say, hey, man, that... That's just not what we do anymore. Our life has been changed. That doesn't mean that we're perfect, but that's just not what we do. But there's also a time where we pick people up and say, man, that's great. That's fantastic. Well done. Verse, the next verse, it says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They'll not endure sound teaching. There's something about um, the word, and Grant, Grant Roth talked about it a couple weeks ago. Sound teaching, the, the word is called orthodoxy. And some of you, I think, you, man, there's no way I can do that. I can't, I don't know what orthodoxy means. Yes, you do. Ortho means an orthodontist. An orthodontist is going to straighten your teeth. Doxy means belief. So the only thing that orthodoxy really means is straight beliefs. There's going to come a time, Paul is saying to Timothy, When people will no longer, they will no longer um, endure sound teaching. They're going to flee from it. But what what are they going to do? They're going to having, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. To itching ears, here's what this looks like. It It gets the picture of like, that you're having itching ears. You're having people come over and tell you what you want them to say. 
there's many, many times that if I want to get somebody to agree with me, all I have to do is ask enough people. Surely if I ask enough people, what they'll do is eventually I will get someone that will side with me. And I will say, see, I knew God was using you. Well, I asked 50 people. But I finally found one. And Paul is telling Timothy, hey, there's going to come a time when people are going to want to have someone to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They're wanting approval for a lifestyle. They're wanting approval for how I choose to do this. This is my life. Well, no, not technically, no. We were bought with a price. And when we give our life to Christ, we willingly give up our freedoms for him. Now, I'm not talking about being weird, but I live my life for an audience of one, Christ. And Paul is telling Timothy that time's going to come where they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I know Bob, Bob Russell hit on a lot of this last week. Some of the things we don't pray for, God, we don't have to pray for. I don't have to pray, man, do I stay faithful to my wife? That's already been talked about. God spoke on that. Now, I may have to, to, to pray about me being more tender, me being more patient with my children. That's, an often, that's often a prayer. But I don't ever have to pray, Lord, teach me to be faithful. He's already said, you, you be faithful to your wife. What are they going to do when they accumulate themselves, teachers, to suit their own passions? In the next verse, it says, and will turn away from listening to the truth. And they'll wander off into myths. God's word is a standard. You know, I remember when, um, when I was younger, what we would do is we would love to play on those. I don't know if you guys did that or not. We would love to play on like an eight-foot rim. Are you playing? How many of y'all did that when you were younger? Oh, look, look around. And man, you just thought you were the stuff, man, because you were playing on an eight-foot rim, man. You were tomahawk, and you could 360, and you could take it behind you. All these things, but the, the truth of the matter is, we lowered the standard. We, we lowered the standard. And yeah, now I feel like I'm really, really something, but I've lowered the bar. With God's word, we cannot lower the bar. When we see this bar of what it's supposed to be, it realizes, I acknowledge, I can't hit that. So I understand my need for Jesus. And so I understand right off the bat, I need him. I need this. They'll variate. No, they won't listen to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. Now, maybe like, I don't have to, I don't have to really apply that in today's myths. We don't, we don't have that nowadays. Well, yes, we do. All roads don't lead to heaven. That's a, that's a myth. The Bible says in, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus is the way to heaven. The Westminster Catechism Shorter starts out, the very first is, what's the chief end of man? What is the, really the chief end and the purpose of man? Here's what it is. To glorify God and to live with him forever. When I say that I am going to glorify God, basically what I'm saying is I'm not here to glorify myself. And man, that's hard. That's hard for me not to want to glorify myself and be selfish in my thinking. 
Paul says you don't do that. You don't turn away. And I don't care what people say. You cannot live your best life now. Don't get caught in that myth. Our best life is not now. If it is, man, we're all in trouble. Our best life is yet to come. I'll tell you another myth. Bad things don't happen to good people. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, they do. I can name a couple of them. Joni Erickson Tata. She's a young lady that has been paralyzed in a wheelchair for 55 years. 55 years she's been in a wheelchair from a diving accident. And she has led many, many, many people to Christ. Talking about the disability that she has. God has used those 55 years where people would think are no good. God has used them in an incredible way. That's a bad thing that's happened to a good person. I just quoted Charles Haddon Spurgeon. True story, Charles Haddon Spurgeon spent years with depression. Years with depression. You know what happened? Um, he was preaching to a thousand people. Seven youngsters come in, screamed fire. All thousand people started to go out and seven people got trampled on and died. Charles Haddon Spurgeon's wife said it was hard for him ever to recover from that. Bad things sometimes happen to good people. However, God will do something great through that. Some of the best things that's ever happened in my life is through my valleys. So he said, Timothy, don't you get caught up. Don't you try to rub this like a, a, a lamp. And Will Smith comes out. And he's going to give you three wishes. That's not what this thing's about. He said, look, I want you to be faithful. And he's going to drive that point home in the next verse. As for you, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. To be sober-minded. To be sober means it's defined as being logical and realistic. That when you are not sober, you are the opposite of sober. You are drunk. And you're not logical. Okay? I haven't always been a Christian. And there's times of that where you were not logical. And some of you in this room can probably attest to that as well. You weren't logical. You weren't realistic. And you weren't focused. Paul is saying, Timothy, you be sober-minded. You preach this word, you be ready in season, out of season. For there's going to come a time where people will accumulate teachers for themselves. It's going to tell them what they want to hear. They're going to fall away. They're going to veer off from the truth. They're going to follow myths. As for you, though, you be sober-minded. You be focused on what is the task at hand. And you suffer. You endure suffering. Suffering. Some of the blessed times in my life, I said that, is when I... I leaned on and pressed into who Christ was, and I realized who I wasn't, and I needed him. He says, do the work of an evangelist. They're like, well, man, I'm not an evangelist. Yes, you are. You are proclaiming something. An evangelist brings the good news. You bring the message of the gospel. The gospel is really, really simple. That Jesus did something I could not do. Just be perfect. And he died on the cross, and the blood that ran down his body was a sacrifice for my sin. I hear people all the time, and I know what they mean when they say it. It's like, I found God. I found God. God ain't lost. God ain't playing hide and go seek with us. I'm lost. And God found me. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for I was, or 2, chapter 2, for we were dead in our transgressions. Chris Morgan was dead in sin. 
and God picked him up. Dead people don't find other people. He found me and he picked me up and he gave me life. We're all about the gospel. And then he's going to say something in verse 6. see how much time I got here. You never run out of material. You only run out of time. He says this in 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I am being poured out. Some of the translations may say emptied out. Paul is saying everything I have is being emptied out for the sake of the gospel. I'm being emptied out. Now, I grabbed this. I grabbed this in the trash can walking in. That, somebody said that that was empty. They've had enough. It's empty. Now, it's, it's far from empty. Okay. Watch this. Still has more in it, doesn't it? What about this? Now, now, some of us may get to that point where we feel like we're empty. It's not empty, though. Watch. Still not empty. Watch. Still not empty. Watch. Paul is saying, I am, I'm emptying myself. Very few of us ever get, now I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about doing something. I'm talking about emptying our lives for the sake of the gospel. Like there's still something in there, man. What a life worth lived when you're doing this part. When you're emptying everything that you have for the sake of something. Paul's saying, for I am being poured out as a drink offering. In the Bible, there's, there's three types of offerings. There's a, um, a burnt offering, a grain offering, and a drink offering. I don't have the time to talk about all of them. But you have a... a, a a burnt, a grain, and the final one is, is a drink offering. Paul is saying that this is my final act of worship. This is my final act of worship to my God. Is that I'm emptying myself out of all that I have. And then he's going to give three perfect verb tenses. Look at that with me. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. Now, I'm talking to a room full of men in here. You know that there are some things in life we're fighting for. Can I get an amen on that? Oh, yeah. yeah you, and you know those things. Um, I have four beautiful girls in my life. My wife, Tammy, I've been married to um, soon to be 21 years three daughters, 18, 17, and 11. And I want you to know, as God is my witness, I mean this with every bit of my heart, that if you put my girls over here and all of you men at the same time tried to get to my girls, I would fight all you guys at the same time. If, if this whole room at once decided they want to come and get to my girls, I would fight the whole group. And you say, well, you're chuckling now. You're like, you lose that fight. Yeah, yeah, I would. I promise I'm taking some of you with me. <laughs> okay, but what I would have to do is I would have to make it in my mind. I would have to make a clear um, delineation that I am going to do what I said I'm going to do. So what I have to do is I have to draw a line. I have to toe this line, and I have to be willing to throw down, okay? Now, I know over my left is Eric Wood. I'm going to have to try to hit him first, okay? <laughs> and then you got some other big guys in here. 
But I could not stand the fact of walking away and letting something happen to the things I love. Now, I would rather die fighting for something I love. And Paul says, for I am fighting a good fight in context, preach the word. You be ready in season, out of season. You be ready for that because there's going to come a time now when people are going to want to accumulate for themselves people to tell them what they want to hear. They're going to follow myths. But you, you don't. You stand your ground. And you, what I'm talking about is not fighting, like throwing out fighting people. I'm talking about standing your ground with the word of God. He is who he says he is. And standing on those principles, Paul is saying, I have fought the good fight. I don't have the time to dive deep into it, but 2 Corinthians says all the things that Paul went through. Man, he was flogged five times. He was beaten three times. He was stoned once. He was left for dead. He was snake bit. He was shipwrecked. All these things that it talks about Paul did. He fought a fight. His mind was probably telling him a hundred times to stop. But he had to make the determination in his mind. No, this is worth fighting for. Paul says, I've fought the good fight. The second word he's going to use is I've finished the race. I've finished the course. He gets the picture of an athlete crossing the tape. There's something about a runner crossing and finishing what they have started. They have worked so hard for, they're crossing the line. It was called the Epic in Miami. Kellen Winslow had a fantastic game in the 1982 AFC Championship. Here's what the, the, the receiver had. He had 13 catches, 166 yards. He had a blocked field goal at halftime. They did IVs in him. He, he, the doctor sewed him up for six stitches in his lip. They actually won the game. 41 to 38. But Kellen Winslow's stories in the Hall of Fame, not so much because of the game. Those are great stats right there. But I'll tell you why there's a picture of him in the Hall of Fame. It's because of this right here. Show us that picture. That's, that's Kellen Winslow. That, that picture's in the football in Canton, Ohio. The Hall of Fame because he exhausted himself on the field of battle, like Vince Lombardi said. He had to be carried off. He couldn't physically carry himself off. And I got to ask myself, in my Christian walk, when is the last time that I've exhausted myself for Christ? That I've really felt like, man, I, I, I could give more to him. Not to bring myself glory, but to bring him. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. He's going to finish 2 Timothy now, and a couple of years from now, he's going to be dead. He has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He's living it out. Maybe you're like, man, I'm not a sports dude. You're sitting here talking about crossing tapes, and I'm not a can't-know-how guy. Okay, well, let me tell you something else that you can finish in that will bring glory to God. Put up this next picture here. This is, you probably don't know these people. This is Charlotte and John Henderson, okay? And, and they're married, but now look, show, Josh Henderson, show us the next picture. On the right, they've been married for 80 years. 80 years. That couple right there is finishing 
the race. I tell you what, I love, man, when we're sitting there with my family and we're walking, looking at the beach and you're seeing these girls or girl and guy holding hands going down the beach. That's great. But I've told you once before, what stirs your heart is when you're at Kroger and you see one of those, those guys on that scooter and that old lady's just shuffling next to him. And you're like, man, that's good stuff. Paul says that I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race that has been marked out for us. It's the same word finished that Jesus uses when he's on the cross. It's the word tetelestai, which means paid in full. Now, I don't, know that, I don't know this. Maybe some of you older guys know this, but when you pay a bill completely off, they send you an invoice or something in the mail and it says what? Paid in full. Your debt's paid. You no longer owe us. It's the same word Jesus used. It's to tell us that it's finished. It's paid in full. Now let's go home with this last one. Kept the faith. That's more than a bumper sticker on a car. Paul says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. It's more than a bumper sticker on a car. Keep the faith. Know that word kept in its original writings. It's the word favero. Favero, which means protected. Paul says, I have protected the faith. And now we're going we're to go home on verse 8. It says, now there is laid up for me. He's fought, he's finished, he's kept. Now there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I have fought. Paul says, I have finished. Paul says, I have kept. But there is still something left undone. There's still something that needs to be done. And Paul doesn't do it. Who is doing it in this verse? Jesus. There's still something left undone. That Jesus is going to present the crown of righteousness to Paul. Not only to Paul, this verse says, but to all, all who have loved and longed for his appearing. Can you think about that? That one day we will be standing in the presence of God and that he will present us with a crown of righteousness. It doesn't get any better than that. I remember playing college football and, and it was a great thing, man. But something better than playing on Saturday was on Monday when you got to watch the film. And man, if you watch the film ever so often, not a whole lot, the defensive coordinator, when we're watching film and you got about 50 dudes in there, maybe not that many, maybe 40, and that defensive coordinator has that clicker, and you're watching these plays, plays that you're in, and coach does one of these numbers. Hey, guys, wow, check that out. Chris, that's well done. That's a good job. Man, you could die right there. I mean, there, there was no feeling like that. Now, sometimes he's like, hey, idiot, what are you doing, man? What, what are you? But, but well done. Good job. Is Barry, Barry Suggs here? Where's Barry? Barry, stand up. Is Barry here? Stand up, Barry. 
It's not here? All right, well, maybe it's fitting that I say this. Barry Suggs is involved in everything. He's involved in everything. Barry Suggs, from the moment I have come on this staff, I've heard his name a gazillion times. So it's fitting that he's not even here. Whether it's been DDG, whether it's been Man Challenge, whether it's been Men's Mentor, whether it's been recovery classes, this dude is a stud. And if he was here, I would make all of us clap. And we would stand up. I would have wore that thing out. I would have made everybody stand up. And everybody would have stood up and gave a standing ovation to Barry Suggs. We would have done that. And I would have looked at Barry and I would say, hey, Barry, how does that make you feel? And Barry, with that humble little mustache guy, he would go, really good. And I would say, man, you feel great. He would feel great that a room full of sinners, stay with me, that a room full of sinners clap for him. How much more will it feel when an almighty God looks at us? Well done. Don't get any better than that. Paul, in closing, Paul says, Timothy, I'm charging you. You're going to be judged. You're going to be judged by what you say. I want you to preach the word. I want you to be ready in season and out of season. You reprove. You rebuke. You extort. Exhort. With great patience. There's going to come a time, young man, when people will accumulate for themselves teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. As for you, as for you, you don't do that. You fight the good fight. You finish the race. You keep the faith. Now there's in store for us a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to us on that day. And not only to me, Paul says, but to all who have loved for his appearing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. God, I'm thankful for... Um, for you dying on the cross for a sinner like me. Lord, I pray, for, um, um, I pray for all of us as men. Lord, I pray that as we walk out, we know that there is an enemy that's waiting to devour us. It's wanting us to get distracted and pulled away from the things that's most important. Father, I pray that we will fight the good fight, that we will finish the race and that we'll keep the faith, that we will preach the word, that we will live out our faith, that we will get involved in things that will strengthen our inner man. Lord, we love you and we thank you. I thank you for these men. God, I pray that the questions today, I pray that they will have open, authentic um, transparent conversations. Lord, you don't ask us to be um, something that we're not, but you ask us to be everything that you've created us to be. And so I'm grateful for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.